This is a Tales from Teens episode called What I Learned from My Mother's Passing as a Teen with Sam Johnson. Welcome to Becoming, a podcast for teens and young adults, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. We are your hosts, Tawny Beardall and Erica Peterson. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently, and discover who you really want to become. Hey, everyone. We are coming at you with one of our fan favorites. It's a new Tales from Teens episode, and we have a very special teen with us today. His name is Sam Johnson. Thank you for being here with us, Sam. Of course. Uh, Thank you for having me on the podcast. We are actually like live together. Yeah. <laughs> Which is super fun for We us. have had a few fun locals lately. It's been really fun. It's my favorite. Sam, preparing for this episode, I totally stalked you on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's okay. That's totally, what kids yeah. do nowadays, right? Exactly, and that's exactly. how we get to know each other. But there's a couple things that I really learned about you. First is you are a crazy skilled and talented videographer. Oh, thank you. Seriously, so impressive. You're hired for my next family <laughs> video. <laughs> thank you. And the other thing is you are a very rare form of teen and that just projects this sense of maturity and positivity and vulnerability through social media. And you just don't see that very much these days. And it was super impressive to me. And I felt really pulled to you. And I thought, if you're this great at telling stories through your films and through your words, like I knew that today was going to be super special. So thank you for being willing to come do this. Of course. Thank you so much. I love telling my stories and through whatever outlet it is, videography or social media. And now I have this podcast. Oh, it's the first time on a podcast, but I'm super excited about it. So thank you. Oh, we love it. We love our Tales from Teens episodes and we really love finding teens with unique experiences Teens learn best from teens, really. We've just found this to be so true. And we just know that your story can help other people. And when we found you, we were so happy because we specifically really wanted somebody with your same experience to share their story. And you lost your mom this last year. And with just like the small little bit that we know about you, we just knew we wanted to hear your story and share with others. So will you tell us? A little bit about your mom and about your story. Totally. Okay, so my mom, Alice Ann Warner Johnson, is her name. She was the most amazing person in the world. So I'll kind of start with my mom's early life, or just kind of explain who she was. She was the most like incredible writer, author, musician, mother, friend. She was so selfless, was always serving people, and just has a really, really inspiring story. So she grew up in Provo, Utah. From like a young age, she was just a go-getter, just like did absolutely everything. 4.0 student, spoke at her graduation, top of her class and everything, but was constantly serving kids, trying to like help them with whatever she could. And she would share stories of when a kid needed an accompanist. And so she just learned the piano <laughs> to <laughs> oh accompany this kid. And, just, and then she took that and ran with it and became an incredible pianist. Her parents didn't pay for her cello lessons, but she worked because so, she wanted to play the cello. So she would start working wow. and paid for her own cello lessons and became an amazing cellist. Eventually played in the Mormon Youth Symphony and just all these amazing things that she did. And I didn't even know about a lot of this until after she had passed. And wow. I started learning about her and 
anyway, so, so then she grew up and she went to BYU and she was a Kimball Scholar, which is like a full ride to BYU. And then she spoke at women's conferences. After she graduated, she headed out to Boston, Massachusetts and became the CEO of a major marketing consulting firm wow. called Monitor. And that's where she like really lived her life. There she had the coolest friends, like best friends with Mitt Romney, Clayton Christensen. He's um, one of the most influential like business minds in the world. He, yeah, she just had a really amazing dynamic life. Wow. Super, super cool. And she was just a single woman living out there and she bought her own house and just was living a really cool life. And that was really the prime time for her. She hadn't had MS yet. And so she, that was where she was really her, her fullest self. Anyway, so then she decided to move back to Provo um, with her dad to start this company called Arvinger. And when she came back, she met my dad. This was when she was 32 and my dad was 36. So they were, they were older. And so they, as soon as they got married, they started having kids. And so they had my first sister, Annie. She is 23 now. And then a year and a half later, they had my sister, Katie. And when Katie was born, a couple of days after, she went totally blind in her left eye, I want to say. She called my uncle and told him what was going on. And he kind of knew, okay, this could be MS. She called the doctor and um, they kind of knew it was MS. So they had her come in and um, they diagnosed her with multiple sclerosis or MS. And and she'd had it for actually 13 years and she had no idea. Wow. So, and she had 18 lesions on her head. And so it was really progressed and developed. From that point on, it really was just a decline. If you don't know, MS just totally takes these lesions that are in your brain and your spine, they just take all your physical abilities, basically. And that is kind of where the decline started. After she had her first two kids, she knew she wanted a big family. She came from a family of 10. Wow. And she knew she wanted a big family, but the doctors told her, no, if you have more kids, it's just going to Make you decline yeah. faster. Okay. Exactly. And, but she prayed about it and she felt really good that there were two more kids waiting for her. And so four years later, after the diagnosis, she had myself. And then four years after that, she had my little sister. Incredible. And I feel so lucky to be here. She didn't have to do that. That was so faithful. So faithful. Wow. So faithful. Then after she had my younger sister, Molly, that's when it really started to drop. And until Molly was about six years old, she could walk. And then after that, she started to use like a walker and a wheelchair. And it kind of just got worse from there. Your young childhood maybe looked a little differently because of the decline that she was already experiencing like do you have memories of this affecting your young childhood yeah so um actually I'll tell you the story of how I first found out so I was probably eight years old she was okay for like four years of Molly's life she was able to like really be a mom so by this time I'm like eight years old and I kind of noticed there I mean my parents were going to doctor's appointments more and um, they, they went to the Mayo Clinic a couple times. And so I knew something was going on, but I was young. So I kind of just didn't think much about it. And then I was driving down the road with my aunt one time and my cousin had whispered something to her. And I was like, what are you guys whispering about? And they're like, well, do you, do you know that your mom has a sickness? And I was like, oh yeah, I know. And I don't even know how I knew because we hadn't talked about it openly as a family, but I just kind of knew. And I think that's such a tender mercy that like, I just kind of like, was okay with it accepted it from the beginning yeah Yeah. and I just kind of came gradually because if it had hit hard like I feel like I would have that would have had some lasting effects and then from that point on really it started to decline more and um, we moved to Utah for three months to be in this production called Savior of the World we weren't home a lot because we were always rehearsing and stuff and that's really when it started to hit and take its effects she Mm -hmm. stopped being able to walk and drive and 
because we weren't there for all that, that was kind of made it a little more gradual. We noticed it in smaller bits rather than, oh my gosh, this is happening right now. After that, we got home from our trip and um, we decided she needs to stop driving and probably should have a walker. And it was scary at first. I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, this is, I feel so bad for my mom. I want my mom to live her life. And be healthy. Exactly. And, but she was amazing. She, her faith helped us through it. She said, she just took it and ran with it. And she was an author. And so she said, well, I'll just keep writing. I can, I can write from sitting down. Wow. So she just kept writing and um, she actually published a lot of books at Desert Book and she, she just Incredible. took it and ran with it. Anyway, so it was nine years of a pretty quick decline. I just, we just started to learn more as a family. I became more independent and we were able to take care of her and which was a blessing. And, and it was, it was a curse. It was hard to take care of your mom and that and become the caregiver Yeah, because it was so hard to see her like that. Her faith really helped us through it. I mean, I would walk in and she was never, oh, this sucks. It was, she was always like, how are you? What, what can I do for you? Wow. And I was like, mom, what can I do for you? Like, it was, it was just really amazing how she handled it. And her attitude throughout the whole thing was just a huge tender mercy. It really kind of from that point, it's kind of a blur. Just, it was so gradual that I just don't really know exactly the timeline of everything. But I do know I learned a lot of lessons in that just to be strong in your trials. And they're hard. They suck sometimes. But it, just having a good attitude about your trials makes them so much easier for you and those around you by inspiring them through your good attitude. So incredible, Sam. One thing I want to bring up, and one of the main reasons that I really think that you've been able to handle this heartache and really tragic trial is because of your amazing perspective and understanding. And I think you have this secret that you know, (laughs) what I've recognized is that you understand that life is all about connection. I just could read that from everything you wrote. And we have a few mutual friends. Yeah. And friends, I have teenage friends. (laughs) We do. Because we run a teen podcast. (laughs) I love love teens so much. But some of uh, our friends were telling me about you and just how incredible you are and amazing you are. And they were telling me about a time when you guys were on the group together for a dance. They were all dressed up cute and you brought everybody in to show your mom and to like have your mom be a part of it. It makes me emotional because I think it's so special that she got to still experience your life and you wanted to make sure you included her. And they were touched by that. And they loved going in and showing your mom their dresses and like including her in that. And I thought that was super special that you felt honored to bring them into your mom's room and that you were brave enough to just say, yeah, this is my mom. And you were proud of her. Well, thank you. Yeah. I remember doing that a couple of times. And the first time after I did it, because she wasn't able to be so involved as a mom and like we traveled abroad a couple of times and she wasn't able to come and I was so hard. And so I remember before that, I just wanted to be like, how can I include my mom more? And when we had dinner at my house for my first dance, I said, okay, well, my mom's right there. We're going to talk to her. (laughs) So I brought her in and that was a really special special experience. And so um, I was actually able to do it for the rest of my dances. Somehow we kept ending up at my house. And I love so it. It, was, it was a really fun thing to do. But that shows me something about you that you wanted, even though she wasn't able to have the normal mother-son-parent relationship, you still made an effort to make sure she was connected in your life. And I want to know what you would say to a teen that maybe has a mom or a dad that asks them questions, wants to be involved in their life, but they seem kind of annoyed 
like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, mom, like, I don't want to tell you this. Totally. How, how would you, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, and I still even struggle that with my dad. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, dad, I don't want to talk about this right now. And so I'm not perfect. But if I were to like give some advice, just like include them. They want to be included. They want to know and be honest with them and tell them what's going on. And it can be totally awkward. But you'll find, I think, that as soon as you're vulnerable with them, they'll be vulnerable with you and that brings you closer and then it's not as awkward. You're scared to talk to them because you're kind of being vulnerable, but you don't have to be scared about that because they're going to do the same back to you and they love you unconditionally no matter what. So I need to apply that to my life a little bit more too. But yeah, um, I think that'd be my best advice. I love that. And no matter the unique circumstance of your family, whether your mom's sick in bed or whether you just don't have a lot in common, you can find a small common ground that will create that connection with each other. And I totally. think that's what I saw in this story. And that really touched me is you made it, you made an effort to make sure she was included in your life. And I think that probably touched her more than you could ever know. Oh, well, thank As you. a mother, I know that that would be really impactful for me. Sorry. No, you're good. Well, thank you um, so much. How long was she bedridden for? So I would say it took about like, two years before she was like in bed all day and then she could like take a wheelchair places like we take her to church mm -hmm. and we take her on walks and then like four years later or maybe five years she was totally better than and she was like that for the last like three or four years of her life at that point she it was like I saw her commit even more to just wow. having a better attitude <laughs> it was crazy I don't know how she did it but and and um, to go back, MS affects you mentally too. Yeah. And the way she powered through that, I mean, it did affect her mentally and I did notice that in some ways, but in other ways she was totally clear. And with her attitude, that was one of the ways she was totally clear. She wow. never, ever complained. I don't know how she did it, but she committed and she just continued to love and to serve and to just do the things that made her happy. And um, one of the most inspiring things to me was the women in our church, they would send two women every day, three hours apart, and they would just come sit and talk to her. Hmm. Not only that was that a huge service to her, but it was a huge service to these women because she was able to share her incredible attitude and perspective yeah. with them. And it was a really, really beautiful thing. I can tell Sam that that is completely rubbed off on you because as I was stalking your Instagram, <laughs> I fully took a quote from it. <laughs> and Sam said, although I was too young to remember the days when she could physically take care of me, I have never felt like something was missing in my life. My mom cared for me in more ways than I could imagine, even as she lost her physical abilities. If we don't talk about looking at the bright side, like that is it. That is the most beautiful example. Uh, you're just so incredible and mature. This attitude is beautiful because you could easily take this as a victim. Like, I don't see my friends having to go through this. And you could just be angry and frustrated and mad. And I'm sure there were times when you were, and you, you definitely had valid feelings to feel that way. And that's okay. But what I'm showing is you shined the bright attitude. You just turned those arrows outward and you just, just exude light. And I think that's the difference between maximizing and minimizing our trials. We can, I mean, they're hard and it's okay to voice that. I don't want people to think that you have to silently suffer. It's kind of like this thought that we can just feed negative, like, and you can just go down that rabbit hole. Totally. 
and be like, oh, my life's terrible. This is not fair. People don't have to do this at my age. And you could just feed that thought. And that would end up changing the entire course of your life. But what I've seen in you is just like choosing your mother's beautiful attitude and perspective. And like, this is what I'm dealt with. And it's okay to be sad, but it's also good to just take the best of it. And like you keep saying, she just ran with it. So impressive, Sam. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I mean, I would say to teens, yeah, I definitely had times when I was like, I don't have a mom doing this for me. Like, this is the worst. Like, yeah. I remember one time my friend said, oh, my mom makes cinnamon rolls for me every Saturday morning. Mm. And I was like, I want that. Yeah. And that was just like something that I kind of took as a motherly thing. And I was like, oh, I kind of I want that. And the minute I started doing that, because I had been taught by her to have take everything in the better light, look at it in the better light, I noticed it made me sadder. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is the point where I had like actually really realized the benefits of having a good attitude for myself. I mean, I'd seen it in my mom and the benefits for her, but in my life, that's the point I kind of realized like, okay, having a good attitude is so much better as hard as it can be sometimes. And sometimes you do have to have a bad attitude for a little while, just, Get it out of your Just system. Get it out of your system, <laughs> yeah. but try to have a good attitude about it whenever you can, and it makes the days a lot easier. Oh, I totally agree. I was talking to Erica about this earlier today, and I said, for me, I could go easily down a rabbit hole. I just have the personality, so I now like set a time limit in my head for my anger or for my frustration. If it's really bad, I'll be like, "Hey, you can mope and cry and stay in bed for a whole day." or whatever if it's a week if it deserves a month I don't know you decide what's the right timeline for you but you just give yourself a time and say after this I'm just gonna buck up and make the best of it yeah and that's sometimes what we need to like some people have to really be conscious about that decision I'm not going to stay in this mindset because it will ruin my life totally we're all gonna go through trials and they may not all look the same and they won't but I think it's really important to just kind of have that idea in your head that I'm not going to let this totally dictate my whole life. I can be sad and I can find good ways to deal with it. I don't want to live in that space forever, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I'm so touched by what your mom taught you and the connection you had with her. And I want to hear a little bit about how you dealt with the end when she passed away leading up to that that had to be fearful and hard and have so many emotions surrounding that tell us a little bit about kind of her passing and what that experience was like for you totally yeah it still really is all blurry in my mind because she declined so gradually I want to say for like the last two years then we started to notice like this is kind of getting ahead of us like how much longer can we keep her in the house like are we gonna have to take her to a rest home we just kind of felt in the dark. We didn't really know how long she would live because MS isn't something that takes your life. So it could have been 40 more years wow. of her in her bed. We had to start making decisions on what to do. And we just kind of kept getting this feeling. My dad did. I really should talk more about my dad because he's really incredible too. Cause he was taking care of her a lot of the time we had caregivers, but he was doing the rock star, just totally rock star. And so he was making these really tough decisions. Like, should I send my wife to a rest home and without her, her children? And should I put her on this medication? Just like dealing with the doctors and all the, just everything. We decided we'd keep her home and we kept her home for those two years. And it got really, really hard, especially the last year. She started to get bed sores and aches and pains. And 
she would cry through the night. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we just felt so hopeless because we didn't know, like, what could we do? I mean, mm-hmm. if we went in there, would wake her up more I and mean, she'd be a little bit awake and crying in pain, but it would wake her up more. Mm-hmm. And then it would make her notice the pain even more. And so it was, it was tough. And we had tons of people surrounding us and they just were our rocks, our family and our friends. They just really helped us through it. The last three months of her life, it's, the pain started to just really increase. And the MS kind of would come in waves. Some months would be harder than others. And so we kind of just thought this was a really hard month. And it started lasting a little longer. And so I noticed like, this is getting really bad. And I remember it was like two weeks of just like hell for her. So terrible. much pain, absolutely terrible. And we had her on medications that would ease the pain, but then we'd take her off and she would just lose it. She would, did not know what to do with herself. And I remember it was the night before it got really bad to the point that we knew that she was kind of good, she was going to pass. And so I remember the night before her bedroom is right below mine. So I passed the door to her room to go up the stairs and I heard her crying and I just, I felt so hopeless. I just didn't, I wanted to go and help her, but we weren't really supposed to because we didn't want to wake her up too much. And so I was just like, wow, this is getting bad. And I walked up the stairs and I went to bed and we woke up the next morning and we went to church. Like we had caregivers that would come by the time she was awake. So she was asleep. We left to church. And then by the time we get home, the caregiver would have them all, her all ready to go for the day. And we're at church and my dad gets a call from the caregiver said, hey, you need to come home. Allie's not doing so good. And this would happen occasionally. She would just be in a lot of pain and the caregiver would call. So I don't know. It, just, it felt normal, but a little different, just a little different. And so I, he, my dad seemed a little more eager. And so I grabbed my sister and we ran home. And when we got home, the caregiver kind of pulled me and my little sister aside and said, hey, like, I've seen this before. Like, this really isn't a good sign, just so you guys know. And she was totally unconscious. She was breathing. But that's kind of the point we really knew. She's on her way out. We didn't have much warning beforehand and so it was it was kind of shocking it would be because after years of being ill you think you would have time to prepare but it just seemed to happen so fast at the end really quickly and it really did just seem kind of like a bad month and then all of a sudden it was here yeah so we called my sisters they were at BYU so we called them and they were able to just get up here in a few hours and uh, my grandparents live in Provo so her parents were up here and she has two sisters here so we we all gathered and um, we had some church leaders that were at our house within minutes and we kind of just started to talk through what the plan was, if we we're just going to leave her here until she passed. And the doctor came and said, this could be a week. It could be a couple of days. It could be a month. We don't really know. We called people and then I had texted my closest friends. My friends have also been my rock through this. And so I texted my group chat and kind of told them this is what's going on. And I called my really close friends and one of my friends, I still think this is one of the most just thoughtful things somebody's ever done for me. I called him and he told him what was up and he said, I'm coming over. I'm going to be in your driveway. If you need anything, let me know. And he just sat in my driveway for like two hours. My friends, I'm so close to them. And so to know I had my family and my friends right there, right then it was, it was so helpful. Anyway, so then that night we went to bed, just kind of feeling a little blind as to what was going to happen. And we woke up the next morning and I actually went to school for one period. I said, I need to have some consistency for a second. So I went to yeah. school and I was going to a class where I had a lot of friends. And so I knew I could just kind of take a second to breathe. Take a second. Anyway, so I came home and we just spent time as a family talking and reminiscing. And they say they can hear when they're in that stage. So we got to talk to her a little bit. And my favorite memory of the whole thing was she was an amazing cellist, like I said before. And when I was in sixth grade, she had me start the cello. And so I got to play her cello for her oh. um, for the last few hours. And the Sunday when we were at church was Mother's Day. Mm. And so her last full day with us was Mother's Day. Wow. And so then the next day, May 13th, my dad called us all into her room and said, hey, 
I think this is it. And me and my siblings, we got to watch her take her last breaths and say goodbye to her. And I remember just keep having these like visions of her being just set free, just being able to run. And I heard this text tone and it was somebody's phone, but I wish I hadn't checked it with somebody's phone because it kept, it was a piano sound and it kept getting all these texts and it was a piano sound. In my head, it was just her finally playing the piano again oh, up in heaven. And, and then the week after was just really beautiful. We just planned the funeral as a family and we got to spend lots of time together and listen to her favorite music, playing her cello and all her 10 siblings came into town and we just talked about her talked about her and shared these amazing stories and i learned so much learned so much i didn't even know about her that's amazing there's just so much that happened in that week it was really really special i want to ask you what you did in those moments where you had to have felt helpless like you couldn't go be with her you couldn't do anything for her like how did you cope how did you get through that what did you do who did you reach out to yeah for me one of the biggest lessons I've learned through losing somebody is you need to mourn the way you naturally want to mourn and sometimes it might not be like what people think is okay Mm. as long as it's healthy you shouldn't mourn the way you need to mourn and so I noticed the way I wanted to mourn was I wanted to go to school and be with my friends and that wasn't necessarily popular with my sisters. They're like, come home, be with us. <laughs> but I just felt really comfortable being there. And so I did that for, I went to school for a couple hours a day, each day afterwards. And, but when I was feeling the most helpless, the most helpful and impactful thing was just to talk to somebody, talking to my friends, talking to my cousins. And that's really hard. Talking to people about something that's so personal and vulnerable is really hard. And so I wish I did it more for sure when I did it helped so so much isn't that strange that you don't want to you're like Ugh, that <laughs> yeah. sounds terrible but it's the only thing that makes you feel better sometimes why totally. do we fight yeah. that so much well sure. and you don't want to put your burdens onto others i mean here you're telling us your story and we're tearing up and almost you feel like you have to comfort them when you're the one who's looking for comfort and that's something that is is really hard about sharing your burdens with others, but really like you just come together. Yeah. But I find that that's why we resist it because we don't want to hurt other people when they hear about our hurt, but like, that's what we need. Totally. Totally. And I think another way that really helped me was like going through her stuff and her listening to music that she liked and, or just music in general with whatever trial you're going through, yeah. positive music can really help a lot. And, but really talking to people is one of the most helpful things. And I mean, if it's somebody that really loves you, they're going to be there for you, even if it might be a little scary for them. I mean, they really love you. And I'll tell you, when anyone's called me in their time of need, it has only been an honor to be there for them. It only feels like, wow, you'd want to share that with me. It feels special. Yeah. So never feel like sharing your heart with someone is a burden. It's a beautiful gift that creates that connection, but also just makes them feel I love feeling needed and like wanted and someone wants to talk to me. It's, it makes me feel amazing. So I don't ever want to be excited that someone's sad, but I do like it when they call me. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I wanted to kind of hear about how losing somebody who you love has changed your relationships with other people, or maybe having someone sick in your life that you love that, you had to connect with in different ways. Like how does that help you with your relationships? One of the most amazing things to me was how much she had did before she was diagnosed and she did tons afterwards, but 
she had this really beautiful life beforehand and I didn't really know much about it. She wasn't, she was extremely humble. So she wouldn't share tons about it. She was never really flaunting what she did. And so um, I didn't know much until there was a couple times before she'd passed where I really dug into her stuff and looked through it. And then a lot recently I've Googled her, saw everything on the internet about her and gone through all her books and everything. And she just had this incredible rich life and knowing that when I find people that are struggling or just like knowing that she had such a beautiful life makes me realize that there's so many people around me that have equally beautiful lives. Just seeing her extremely beautiful life made me realize there's so many people around me and I don't even know their stories just to treat everybody like the best person in the world. That's what she did. And that's really inspired me to just look at everybody with a heart full of love. Everybody is going through something. Just be that friend to them. That will totally shape how you look at every single relationship now. Totally, yeah. I love that. I'm embarrassed by how much I stalked you. I keep bringing this up, but I, <laughs> I love your account. So I learned that you've done a few trips to Ghana. Yeah. yeah. And I want to hear more about that. Do you think that your experience over in Ghana really changed your perspective with what you uh, went through with your family? Yeah. It's funny because times when my friends would like complain about their parents, there were definitely times when I'd be like, okay, uh, you don't have it as hard as me. And I really shouldn't have thought that. That's not a good thought. But then I went to Ghana and I met all these amazing little kids at this orphanage. Okay, I don't have it as hard as these kids and they're way happier than me. Like I can do better for sure. So yeah, that really like whenever I would come home, I would just like be so grateful to have my mom there with me and just to like come home after like she wasn't there with our family. We went over as a family a couple of times and to come home and know she wasn't there with us and how hard it was for her to just say, okay, yeah, go, go ahead. And like, she was, had such a good attitude about it and to come home and want to have my mom there. Like these kids didn't. And just to finally see her again after she just sat there alone, that really just like made me appreciate everything that I have and being happy with what I have. Yeah. I love that you got to have that experience and it shaped how you wanted to handle your life here. But why did you guys go over there? Were you with an organization? How did that come about? There's an organization that the family lives in Star, and they started this organization called Gonna Make a Difference. Cute. And my sister is good friends with their son, and so she kind of heard about it. And so she went over her junior year for a month. She came home and said, hey, we need to do this as a family. And so we were fortunate enough to have this opportunity to go over there and we built a playground and a soccer field and a patio. And since then, I've been back twice, actually. And my wow. sister's led trips over there. And so we've just become really connected with this orphanage over there. And some of our greatest friends um, work there and live there. And, Amazing. Um, yeah. So when can you take me? Um, <laughs> I'm leading a trip after my mission. So. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> that is so awesome. And your dad does sound like just an outstanding man. He really is. How is he doing? I'll just brag about him for a quick second. I just feel so lucky that my dad was just so loyal to my mom. Yeah. He didn't have to do all the things he did. And he really did. He paid for all the medical care. He was constantly in there helping her with whatever she needed. He was always on call. He had sleepless nights for years on end. He was raising us kids by himself, just like so many different things that he was dealing with. And he, he too had just such an amazing attitude about it. And, and since she passed, um, it's like totally an adjustment for all of us, um, for sure. And yeah. yeah, no, since she passed, he's doing all right. And we're, we're all just kind of helping each other through it. Yeah. 
new territory. Uh, yeah. Well, my goodness, what a beautiful example. And he does deserve to be honored. I want to totally. give that guy the biggest high five ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a cool dad a you have. Dad. That's a awesome. Dad. Yeah. One, one question that I have before we wrap up, I just wanted to have you share with other teens who may be going through a similar experience of having a parent diagnosed with an illness or losing a loved one. There are some hopeless feeling moments sometimes for people when they have those experiences, but what would you maybe share with others who are going through that and what kind of hope can you kind of give for them? I do think it like totally differs for everybody because my personality is so open and I like to talk about it and that's helped me. My gut says talk with people about it as much as you can and that helps a ton. But if you're not as inclined to talk to people and be open about it, if you have that faith in God, lean on him and he's always there for you and he's never going to give you a trial that you can't overcome. And so that was always helpful to me and to my mom just to know that I, I knew my mom could do this. I mean, I know she relied on God and he helped her so much through this and he helped me so much through it too. I mean, I don't think I'd be the person I am after all these traumatic things that have happened without him. He took so much of the pain away. I feel like that's bad to say. I mean, it was super painful, but he took away the really traumatic events that could have had lasting effects on me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to articulate, but rely on the Lord. He's, he's absolutely there for you in all your trials and he's not going to give you anything you can't overcome. And, if you have that faith in him, it makes it so, so much easier. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. You have been an incredible example to me. I know that this is going to impact so many teens or anyone really of any age listening. So thank you for being willing to share your heart and your story. It's, it's amazing. And you are one special man. Thank you. Seriously. We ask every guest that comes on the podcast what they would tell their high school self if they could go back. But obviously, you're still in high school. So if you could go back and talk to your freshman self, what would you yeah, tell him? I love that question. Um, I could talk to my freshman self. I would say love everybody unconditionally. There's been a few times in my life when I feel like I've been in touch with God enough to really see everybody as a child of God. And those have been the happiest moments. And I know everybody's having trials I mean, all around you, you don't know everybody's story. You would love anybody if you knew their story. And so many people didn't know what I was going through and they were so kind to me. And that was just such a blessing. And I wish I was more like that. Really just love everybody as much as you can. Everybody's a child of God and they're all worth the world. And so, and everybody's going through stuff. So just put your arm around whoever needs it. Whoever doesn't seem like they need it, they probably need it. So yeah, yeah that's my advice. You're so inspiring. I feel so blessed to be able to have listened to your story and just touched by your attitude, perspective, your knowledge. My love for teens just grows a thousand times every time that I get a teen story. And you guys are amazing. Like you deal with your little day-to-day -day life, things that you have to keep organized and everything. And then you go through experiences that I can hardly imagine going through, but yet you can come and share it and share light and just like blow us away. And it just makes me so proud to be so connected to teens. It's such an honor and I'm so grateful for you. Well, thank you guys so much. I'm grateful you guys had me on your podcast. And it's a really special experience. And it's, I've been wanting to share her story with people because she was such an inspiring person. 
her legacy is so amazing. And I've just like felt like I need to carry her story on and carry her legacy with me. And um, so I'm always looking for places to share about her. Well, you did it justice. So beautiful. You really honored her. And we just feel so delighted to be able to help spread her story through the world. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please click to subscribe and join us on Instagram. We'll see you next time on Becoming.